Uh, we've been in Mark for a while here, looking at Jesus, searching for the real Jesus. Uh, we're getting toward the end here, and uh, 16 chapters in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 14 today. So uh, it appears that at some point, uh, Lord willing, we will finish this series. Uh, it's a good thing to search for Jesus. It's a good thing to figure out who Jesus is and perhaps to get a better and better picture of Jesus. Uh, very much looking forward today at the, uh, the end of my lesson in uh, just a few minutes from now. Uh, very excited. Dana O'Connor is going to be sharing her conversion story. And so uh, she'll be up at the end to uh, close out her service. Looking forward to hearing how God has worked powerfully in her life as well. Uh, so a question for you. Uh, have you ever prayed for something and you didn't get it? Yeah, that seems to be a common experience, doesn't it? Uh, if we were ever naive about that, perhaps when we first started our journey following Christ and we just assumed that every prayer would be answered the way we wanted it answered, uh, most of us have figured out that's not going to work that way. Uh, I remember I uh, became a follower of Jesus back in my, uh, my college days. I was attending the, uh, the University of Florida uh, some years ago. And, uh, you know, I was new to the faith. And so I believed that perhaps uh, my prayers would be able to help my favorite college football team. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that or prayed for your team to win. Uh, you know, I had a, uh, I had a favorite team. Most of you are like, that is so unspiritual. Uh, and I, I would tend to agree. I would at least say this, uh, my prayers did not seem to help. And so, uh, I have decided that perhaps God has more important things that he's concerned about than who wins college football. By the way, a moment of silence for all of you who are, uh, split marriages. Uh, by that I mean that one of you likes college football and the other doesn't. Uh, one of you likes pro football and the other doesn't because we're entering in a very challenging year, a time of the year for you and your marriage. So, a uh, moment of silence. Uh, Mary Kay is right there with you. Um, she'll be able to encourage you. Please call her. Do not call me. Um, another thing that uh, happened along the way is when, when I moved here to L.A., Mary Kay and I were on the, uh, the original church planting here in Los Angeles. And you may not know that if you're new here. Uh, we started the Los Angeles Church in 1989. There were just 50 of us. Curtis and Lynn were here. Uh, Mary Kay and I were here. I think that may be all that are in the audience today, unless I'm missing somebody. Uh, anyway, uh, just a handful of us. Actually, the, and the whole Los Angeles Church is over 6,000 now. So uh, over 25 years, a lot of great things have happened. This, of course, is just the group within the church that meets locally here in Glendale. And we're all over the place, all over the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. Anyway, moving here to Los Angeles was a, a new experience. Moving to California, they had, it's the first time I ever lived in a state that had a lottery. And so, uh, especially in the early days of the church, uh, I felt like the church needed money and I needed money. So I began to pray that I would win the lottery. And, um, you know, I have to say that those prayers were never answered. Uh, I, I didn't go too deep into it. I, I did a little bit. I doubt I've invested in all the 25 years. I doubt I've invested even $50 in the lottery. But, you know, we would get up to millions. And I would, at first I started, I'd say, well, I'll buy a lottery ticket or two. And I'll say, God... And I prayed, I go, God, if you let me win, I will give you 50% of this money. 
And I didn't win, so I thought, well, perhaps God wants me to raise the percentage. <laughs> so the next time I did it, I, pray, I said, God, I will give you 70%. And I still didn't win. And I still don't understand why God didn't answer that prayer. And then it went up, and I finally and I said, God, I'll give you 90% of the money. Okay, that's a reverse tithe, okay? You get 90, I keep 10. Still didn't win the lottery. Finally, I go, okay, Lord, surely this is... I will give you 100%. And I still didn't win the lottery. So, uh, yeah, I guess like Marlon said, he really doesn't need the money. So, uh, anyway... But unanswered prayers is a uh, something we, and surely, and, and, and I do understand this, we understand that there are more important issues than college football or whether we win the lottery or not. They're very serious issues to pray about. And frequently, it seems that our prayers go unanswered. Well, perhaps I should say, we, get it, we always get an answer when we pray. It just may not be the answer we want to hear. That happened to me growing up with my parents. Did that happen in your household? Whenever I asked a question, made a request, I always got an answer. It just wasn't always the answer I wanted to hear. Same way with God. And I preached actually one of the most interesting messages, titles that I was ever given. It was at a conference many years ago. And I was called to preach on the title, When God Says No. And certainly, uh, it's not just our experience, but when you look at the Bible... The men and women of God through the ages have prayed often about things that were very serious and very important. And it seemed clear to them, and it may seem clear to you today, and it may seem clear to me in my prayers that God surely would answer this prayer. Why would He not? And then still, we're perhaps frustrated because the answer was no. And so... Today's lesson, Jesus is going to help us. How do you deal with it when you've got something very serious that's happened in your life? And you pray, and you're praying for God to do something, and you're praying for some sort of relief, and you're praying for some sort of solution, and the answer is no. How do you deal with that? That's one of those, I call them life-determining questions. How do you deal with those situations where you pray and you want something to happen and you want it so bad and you pray in faith and the answer is no? Let's begin reading in Mark 14. Perhaps many of you will know this story. It's about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's now less than 24 hours before Jesus is going to be crucified. And perhaps you know what a horrible, terrible death that's going to be. It's going to be excruciating, and it's going to be long. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. Of course, there were many things that happened even before He went to the cross that were physically painful, emotionally painful, spiritually painful. This has been the plan from all of eternity, that Jesus would go to the cross... 
But now it is the night before. It within 24 hours of it happening. How do you imagine that Jesus is feeling? It's one thing to know that something's coming. And to see it from afar off, from see it from thousands of years away, and then see it from a hundred years away, and then see it from ten years away, but then to see it from a year away, a month away, a week away, a day away. Jesus just found out, they just had what was called the, we call the Last Supper. And Jesus gathered His closest twelve followers. Disciples, the apostles we sometimes call them. And at that meal, He says to them what He knows to be true, that all of them in His hour of need, and at the moment of His crucifixion, at the time of His arrest, all of them would disown Him. All of them would desert Him. And that one of them, Judas... One of his closest friends would actually betray him for 30 pieces of silver. How are you feeling if you're Jesus? They go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And in the Mount, the Mount of Olives, there's an area they call the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of you have ever been to Jerusalem? There's a handful of you here. We, I think, went together, the McCurries and the, the Neelands, if quite a few years ago now, one of the, probably the the highlight of my trip to the Holy Land and to Jerusalem was to get to go to the Mount of Olives, to get to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can see why it was chosen, because Jerusalem is on a hill, and then there's this valley, it's called the Valley of Kidron, and then there's another hill just east of the city, and it's easy walking distance, it's less like a quarter of a mile away, or less, you can walk there in a few minutes, you walk down this valley and you walk up. And from this Mount of Olives, this location, you can oversee the whole city of Jerusalem. And evidently, Jesus and his uh, closest followers, they went up there quite often to sing and to pray and to worship God. And so it was a familiar location, and you could see why they went there. And there's this one area, the olive, sort of an olive grove, they call the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't know if they've, there was a particular spot that we went to that was supposedly the the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was just thinking about this story and thinking about the experience there, you can imagine how powerful it was. If you're Jesus, how would you be feeling? Perhaps this is the most personal and penetrating look at the real Jesus that we find anywhere in the Bible. Let's read the story. Even if you've read it before, I hope you'll read it Perhaps as if it was the first time. Verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, 
Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. But when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. That's easy to imagine, isn't it? Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, we only have a, uh, a few minutes here. It would be impossible to really understand the intensity of the moment, but the description here gives us a little bit of an idea. It seems obvious this was the worst night of Jesus' life. This was the worst moment of Jesus' life. He uses very extreme language. He was deeply distressed. He was troubled. Overcome with sorrow to the point of death. What does that mean? Have you ever been so broken up and sad about something that's happened in your life that you just feel like, you feel like it's going to kill you? You feel like you can't go on? I don't know exactly. Maybe it means, because Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, maybe it means at that moment He even considered taking His own life in order to avoid the kind of suffering that He knew He was in store for. You know, that would have... I can understand why that might seem like a, an easier path, a more pleasant result. Right? So powerful. It says that he called, he's praying, and of course he's, his prayer is centered. I mean, there's probably a lot of things that he prayed there, but the thing that we're supposed to understand, and that maybe the major part, the biggest part of this prayer time that lasted all night, was God, please take away this cup, this suffering. It says he called him Abba, Father. A lot of you probably know that, that the word Abba is an Aramaic word. It was a language, the, sort of the Jewish dialect that Jesus spoke. It's the same thing a young child would say to their, to their father. They might, it's, it's just like daddy. Imagine how God would feel if you're a dad here. Jesus saying, Daddy, please... This is a tough conversation between a son and, the, and his father, isn't it? You know, uh, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. I don't know if I, I've read this a lot of times before, but I thought, how must that have felt for God the Father to hear those words? Jesus is saying, God, you are all powerful. You can do anything. Everything is possible for you. Don't tell me there's not another way. Don't tell me this is the way it has to be. I don't care how long it's been planned. I don't care if it's been a thousand years. I don't care if uh, an eternity. I don't care if I know about it. I don't want to go. 
Surely, surely God, you, my father, my daddy, could come up with another way. It's intense, isn't it? Then it makes it worse that he has to go back and, you know, his very special friends, they're all sleeping. Right? You know, if I'm Jesus, I'm going, so I'm going to be willing to die for these guys who are sleeping over here. Right? You know, one of the things I hope, and one of the things I like about our church, and I hope we build on that, is we try to be a church that's real, that's authentic. You know, life way, real life, God's way. We try to talk about things that really are. I love this picture of Jesus. His humanity is never more obvious. I'm sure all of us can relate to what he was feeling there. And there's some good news here. When you're going through something that seems overwhelmingly difficult, and you're questioning, why, God, are you have you not answered my prayer? And why have you not changed the situation? And why is there so much pain? And why am I having so much sorrow? Jesus shows you, you have permission to struggle. You have permission to be honest with God about what you really think. Good news. You have permission to disagree with God. That's what's going on here, isn't it? Permission granted. So here we come to the conclusion for us. How do you deal with the worst moments of your life? That's where it gets real, doesn't it? How do you, how do I deal with the worst moments of your life? You know, I was, I thought about my life. Again, I'm not allowed to tell you how old I am. But in my experience, for me, the worst moment of my life, some of you are aware of it. Some of you were a part of it. Even though it happened many years ago, I was ministering in this place. And there was a very prominent family in our church that falsely accused me, personally me, of some very serious sins. And they did it in a very public way. So it was uh, known by all. It was on the internet. And I have friends living hundreds and thousands of miles away who were made aware of these accusations. For me, worst time of my life. It was a struggle. It was painful. Now many of you might be saying right now, well I've had a lot worse moments than that. And you know what? That may very well be true. I want to mention, I mean, I know many of you, and I know your stories, and I would say you've gone through things that are beyond what I could imagine or have ever experienced. But we all have our 
our Gethsemane moment. One of the brothers here that I love so much, and I know you do as well, is Albert Hill. Albert, member of our church, how many years? 20 years? I don't know. Some of you might know. Many years. A lot of you know, on March 15th, and I'll never forget that date because it was our first outdoor service of the year. It was a Sunday, and Albert had been struggling some emotionally and with his health, and we had an outdoor service. We were expecting Albert to be here, and he wasn't here, and so me and some of the other brothers went over to his house, and it's a good thing we did because he was collapsed in the bathroom. He had a stroke. If we hadn't gotten there pretty soon, he very likely would have died. But for five months now, over five months now, Albert has been in rehabilitation. And even now, five months later, he cannot speak. He can't do anything for himself. He's in a home. And when you go and you see him, the encouraging thing is, you can tell when you come in and he knows you, his eyes will light up. And he tries to speak, but there's no words that he can't make words yet. Now we hope that there will come a day when Albert can speak, and we would love to see Albert back in our fellowship here, but it may be that Albert will be in that position the rest of his life. I suppose for Albert, and I suppose for me or you, that would be a Gethsemane moment. And I would encourage you to go see Albert if you haven't made the habit of doing that. It'll be good for you, God will be pleased, and it'll be good for him. Because I can tell you, when I go in there, his eyes light up. That's all I can say. If somebody could, if there's a, it's his, his eyes that speak volumes, okay? It's a loud smile. <laughs> Can't say anything. Not, not that you could understand. But he speaks. One of the, some of the worst moments in your life may still be yet to come. Well, now that's encouraging, isn't it? So glad I came to church today. My worst moment, as bad as it is, may not have happened yet. So here's the conclusion. Here's the title of the sermon. Have you been to Gethsemane? How do you deal with these moments, the worst moments of your life? You do what Jesus did. You go to Gethsemane. And you know what you do at Gethsemane? You pray. A lot of us think prayer is where we go to get God to do what we want Him to do. Perhaps a deeper understanding of prayer is that we're where we go to find out what God's will is for our life. Instead of asking God to bend to our will, perhaps prayer is the place we go to find out how we need to bend to God's will. Amen. You pray, and then you do what Jesus did. You yield. Not my will, God, but yours be done. You yield. Jesus was a mess right here. This wasn't Jesus cool, calm, and collected. This was Jesus with emotions running wild. But you know, from this moment, 
From the end of that prayer time, after he had been to Gethsemane, the rest of the way to the cross, he was, he was under control. He was full of faith. He faced his betrayers. He went to the cross. He exhibited the, the, the bravery and the faith and the trust that we all aspire to. But that never, you never get there without Gethsemane. Gethsemane is that moment where you finally decide to yield yourself to God's will and God's plan for your life. No matter how painful it is and no matter how much you wish it was different. That's Gethsemane. Have you been to Gethsemane? If you've been to Gethsemane like Jesus has and you're through your struggle, you won't be bitter. You won't be resentful. You won't be questioning God. You won't be angry with God. You know what I'm talking about, right? Why did this happen to me, God? Why, why, not somebody else? why does somebody else have it so much better? Why do their prayers answered? Why, 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 why? One thing I figured about, about following Jesus, I frequently have more questions than I have answers. Have you figured that out yet? But that's part of what it means to yield yourself to God. Is that You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to know what's best. It may seem to you like what's happening to you is senseless, it's cruel, it could not possibly have any good purpose. But that's your Gethsemane moment. That's your moment to decide. So here's what I want to ask you to do this week. By the way, I know this is pretty intense. I hope Dana's going to lift our spirits. But this is real life. This is real life stuff. And, you know, it's interesting, the description of Jesus' life and ministry, about a third of what we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John covers the last week of his life. And there's a lot more about his death than there is about his resurrection. Have you ever noticed that? Seems like it's important to understand. So here's what I want you to do this week. I'd like you to have a conversation with somebody about your the worst moment of your life. May have been something that happened years ago. Maybe something that's going on right now. I'd like you to have a conversation with somebody about your Gethsemane moment and honestly share where you are in this struggle. It's okay to struggle. Just be real. Just be honest about it. You know, Jesus worked through his Gethsemane moment in one night. You know that situation I referred to, which is the most painful? It took me, what do you say, Mary Kay, five years? Five years before I finally feel like I came out on the other side of that. I praise God that He's that patient with me. Glad He gave me five years to work it through. That may be, it may take you longer. The important thing is to stay in the garden and to keep seeking the face of God until such time that you can emerge like Jesus did. Yielded to God's will 
for your life. Dana O'Connor, come and share for us, Dana. Hello, everybody. I'm Dana O'Connor. I am part of this great church. I'm a member for 13 years. I'm married to a wonderful man, Sean O'Connor. He's a rock star, plays bass up here. And uh, we have four amazing children we love. Um, So uh, I'm going straight to my baptism because that's just where I needed to start. Um, I was baptized on September 22nd, 2002, and I was baptized by my husband just moments after he was baptized, which was really awesome because we got to start our Christian life together, just like uh, Raul and Claudia will today, which is really cool. Um, We were on top of the world. We had a booming retail business and our first home, and we had little baby Darby. She was exactly seven months old. Um, But in thinking about my conversion, I really wondered why God had um, decided to send in the troops and rescue me at a time when my life was actually really calm and really good. I I didn't think I really needed any rescuing at all. Why didn't he come and and send in the troops when I was tangled up with so much sin as a teen? And when uh, the Jesus I knew as a little girl was completely wiped from my memory and my heart. Um, But I still know that he protected me from fates that were way worse than death. Um, While a few other kids I knew um, weren't able to escape, they were being raped, they were dying in car accidents, they were prostituting, and they were overdosing on drugs. But um, God had, thank God, he had different plans for me. Um, I suppose he came in a big way when, um, and really revealed his plan um, when he knew that I was in a place to really listen and not off living for myself and with much more to lose, like my husband and my, my children and the money that we had made, which we thought was so awesome at the time, too. <laughs> but a friend sent me a scripture, and without knowing, she gave me insight into God's timing in my case. So First Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Um, God saw me through so many ups and downs in my life, and um, he allowed a lot of things to happen, like my parents getting divorced when I was six and my teen years. Um, But I had to experience pain and suffering in order to to be eager to leave it behind. Um, Jesus is a redeemer who knew when it was my time to face my past. Um, So his word allowed, uh, he allowed my sin to be dug out, all the pain, self-hatred, all the pride. Um, My husband and uh, a bank account and children could have given me a false sense of feeling complete, but it wasn't until I decided to give myself fully to God that I became um, whole. And... uh, and now someone who has tools to make my marriage great, loving my husband the way that God intends, right? And to be emotionally dependable, emotionally, emotionally dependable mom for my kids, which I actually didn't even have until my mom became a Christian. And, and I have godly principles um, to teach them. And also a self-worth that comes from the way Jesus sees me and not the way the world sees me. 
Um, I'm so grateful for God's impeccable timing, which is different for everyone, but perfect all the same for anyone who's ready to listen. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Dana. By the way, um, in the bulletins, almost every week, and today, in the front and the back, there are bulletins, and there's uh, information there about Albert. He's been in the same rehabilitation location in Burbank for five months, and it looks like he's going to be there for a while. So uh, I would encourage you to, to go and meet him. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Let's, uh, let's have a brief prayer. God, thank you for moving today. Thank you for speaking today and through all the different parts of the service. And we do hope you are pleased that uh, we have lifted you up, that we have lifted Jesus, we've lifted you up in a way that is uh, inspiring as well as true. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the week, everyone. I just want to remind everyone real quickly, Elevate, it's coming. It's just a few short weeks away, right here in this building. Invite your family, invite your friends. It's going to be a great time, a night of praise and worship. Amen.